Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 286, Geeks on Vacation, recorded May 21st, 2017, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the only show on the internet where geeks rant. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockroll, and joining me this week, as always, are your two stalwart co-hosts, Seth, the Gooey Kid Anderson, and Miles, the Aussie Junior Wakeham. Hello, gentlemen. Howdy, Mark, and welcome to the fine folks joining us this here evening. And it's vacation yes. time. Almost. We have one more week, and then Miles will be world traveling. Um, but because we didn't want to wait till the last minute, we're doing it this week. I have no idea why. Just because. Well, um, because other people might be looking to travel, and we oh, yeah, wanted to that. help them prepare. See, because we're just so magnanimous about our awesomeness. Well, this, you know, the end of May, actually probably middle of May is when we should have been doing this, is yeah. when people start planning their vacations. And Miles has some travel hacking hi- uh, tips. Uh, some he's not going to share with you because if everybody knows about it, he won't be able to do it anymore. But some he is uh, willing to share with us. But I just wanted to, to say very briefly that, Seth, you have completely broken me of actually reading the show intro. You You tricked me so many times. That now I actually check the calendar at the bottom left corner of my clock uh, of my computer to read the date, um, and and I and I look at the top of the the show doc for the title because I can no longer trust that what's there is what I typed at the beginning of the day. Just wait, you're welcome. What I mean, I don't ever change the date. Yes, I you mean, do. I might write it in Roman numerals or something. That's changing it. If it's not the same words, it's changed. No, I don't change the date. I merely change the format of the date. Which, by definition, is a change. Um, But it's still the same date, (laughs) so it's not a change. Oh, um, So, anyway, I just wanted to very briefly... uh, uh, I watched Passengers today. uh, Beautiful People in Space. uh, 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 Jennifer Lawrence and Chris Pratt. Um, Seth gave a, a, a review of it. A while back and i think i can pretty much sum up everything he said with meh um and uh i decided to watch it today it came in in the little red envelope um and i wanted to i wanted some good space scenes to test out a new piece of equipment that i'll talk about in just a second um and uh i have a four-word review of it and it is jerry Maguire in space and why do you say that um, well, because it's, Show it's the, the same plot. It's the same, uh, undertones, uh, you know, a selfish guy goes through a, a personal transformation, a girl finds everything she wants only to find out that it's not what she wanted, only to realize that it was what she wanted. Um, and you complete me. Uh, it's the same, it's the same thing just in space. See, I think it's more Jeff Dunham. I kill you. <laughs> so that's. <laughs> um that's what i was i was waiting for you to say you complete me so i could throw out my alternate um wording so i i wasn't a bad movie i don't regret having watched it i got to see jennifer lawrence naked a couple of times uh but uh, you know other than just a way to pass a uh, an afternoon uh, that's about all it is it's bubblegum for the brain just something to look at while you're doing something else i was watching you know, it, it it wasn't obviously, you know, everything wrong with or how it should have ended. But there was one uh, who described, you know, Lawrence X Machina. And I was like, that's the <laughs> best description ever. And I'm, I'm glad I saw the film just because I got to hear that one reviewer say that. And that, that made it yeah. worth it even more. Yeah, Lawrence Fishburne shows up for like three scenes. And really has no reason to be there other than the plot has to... Something that he does 
has to move the plot along and it couldn't happen without him but other otherwise it, it truly is a deus ex, ex machina a god from without of the machine it just uh, had to happen um to move the plot along yeah speaking of people who don't have to be there how much did andy garcia make for like <laughs> half a second of screen time <laughs> He didn't even say anything, and he got billing like at the end of the credits when it's rolling. You know, it's Jennifer Lawrence, Chris Pratt, uh, Lawrence uh, uh, Fishburne, and Andy Garcia. He, uh, did he even have a word? I don't think he had a, a line. I don't think so. Yeah. Just showed up with a so, beard, and that was it. Yeah. So that tells you the extended director's cut alternate ending. You <laughs> yeah. know, has like everybody waking up and doing a fifty-year party, and it's their grandkids who arrive at the colony or something. So I'm looking forward for that. All right. So anyway, that's that's all I have to say about that. Uh, a warning, spoilers, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, I have lag over here. Right. Okay. <laughs> it's not a movie that can be spoiled. Honestly, there's. It is so straightforward. Oops. I can tell you everything that happened. I won't because Pedant Net is out there. But I can tell you every major plot point. And it wouldn't ruin the movie in any way because the movie isn't ruinable. It's not good enough to be ruined. Okay, let me ask you a question. The very end when they open the doors and Andy Garcia beholds the promenade, did that not drop your appreciation for the movie just a little bit? Well, I mean, it it threw any dose of realism out the window. I mean, they had it was hanging on by a very thin thread already. And finally, they just right. said realism, schmealism and and went with that. Okay, I was just, well, I mean, you know, like, like I say, it, it was still enjoyable. It wasn't a great movie anywhere, but just that one scene, which did not need to be there, except mega Hollywood happy ending, <laughs> except it wasn't, but it's just like, look, pretty squirrel. Yeah. It's, and, it's another one of those movies also that plays fast and loose with physics, and as a phys- <laughs> physicist, you know, armchair physicist, that bothers me. Um, that one, one scene in particular... Um, a guy is free floating in space he throws something to reverse his direction now newton says that's absolutely correct that would absolutely happen the force of him throwing something would have an impact on his trajectory but in order to completely reverse his direction with the speed and force that he did he would have had to throw a boulder at roughly mach 2 just saying all right. Well, you know, maybe it was just made out of some really awesome metal. <laughs> Unobtainium. Um, speaking of bad movies. Uh, so, Seth, what did you do this today while I was watching uh, Mostly Naked Jennifer Lawrence? Well, um, when I got to church this morning, I found out the pastor was sick. And so I got to preach again, which is some. I even though it's a hard process for me, I really enjoy doing it. So I was very grateful to have the opportunity. So, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Did you have to do the sermon? I I was originally scheduled to preach next week. So I kind of had an outline that I didn't think went for next week. And come to find out it was because I was preaching it this week. So I was only halfway unprepared. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's that's a nice resource for your oh, church cool. to have that somebody you can just tap on the shoulder and say you're up yeah so now i got to get another just in case sermon at least halfway ready <laughs> because you know i use that one so i had a very similar experience only vocally i got an email at like 9 30 last night that said you're singing on the praise team in the morning oh good <laughs> i haven't rehearsed Sweet. any of that but okay 
Let's go. Uh, anyway. Um, so, Miles, you, I'm guessing you're talking about the TV show that I have been interested in seeing. So tell me about Cooper's Treasure. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. It's on Discovery. Gordo, okay, yeah. Gordon Cooper. You know, we all know who he is, right? The Mer- the Mercury astronaut. Um, so this this is a really weird storyline, but it's it's got you got to watch this thing. It's so cool. It's on Discovery. So what happened? Apparently, when this when this guy in the sixties was floating around in orbit. Um, Apparently, NASA or the Department of Defense or something gave him some super secret mission that he was supposed to do while he was orbiting the planet uh, to film uh, nuclear silos, you know, to look for evidence of um, arsenals of nuclear missiles and so on. Um, well, he, he did that, but apparently there's a lot of really empty time up there when you're floating around the planet. So what he also did was he managed to see from space uh, all these areas of the ocean where there were shipwrecks. Apparently he could see uh, evidence of the of ships back then and he documented um, like latitude and longitude positions of all of these shipwrecks. Now, I didn't know much about shipwrecks. You know, as far as I knew, it was that a few ships went down. Now, apparently, there are hundreds of thousands of ships dating back to like the 1400s that are uh, all over the place, particularly in the Caribbean. And uh, he managed to create this map with all of these plot points of where all these places he saw evidence of shipwrecks from space. And... Uh, this guy, I tell you what, he documented everything. When he he died, and when he died, he he opened up all of the stuff, all of his notes and everything that his widow kept in the in the garage. Well, through the last ten or so years of his life, he had this sidekick, this kid that was the son of a treasure hunter, and I guess maybe that's where they had some sort of common ground or something. And this kid basically worked alongside of Gordon Cooper as he was putting together all of the documentation of all of these plot points and maps and all the stuff he did from space way back when. And then he died and the kid inherited most of the maps. Not all of them, most of them. So the TV show is about this kid's journey to go and find the treasure. And it's brilliant. It's like sort of space geek and treasure hunter and pirates and the kid's father who's an old treasure hunter who was very successful. He's a real, oh, he's a real horrible guy. But anyway, he apparently he holds a part of the treasure map that the kid needs and he has to negotiate with his father and the whole thing's really complicated. Anyway, it's about four episodes in and, uh, you know, they're about to head off into the Caribbean. The only thing that's really cool, it sounds like, you know, yeah, just another one of those made-up TV shows sort of, you know. But every time they open the show, they have this uh, static title screen and it tells, you know, introduces the concept of what Gordon Cooper found and everything. And at the very bottom, it says, because I haven't seen this yet, so I'm assuming this will happen, it says, and the kid finds billions of dollars in treasure. And this, the fact they said that 
I want to watch this thing and find the kid, find billions of dollars of right. treasure. Apparently, that's not unheard of. You know, these old Spanish galleons are, are rife with gold and silver and jewelry and that sounds. I've I've seen the the previews of it, and I made a mental anyway. note to check it out. I didn't even know it was on. Uh, so I'll go back and and look at the on demand stuff. I'm sure Discovery is really good about keeping uh, stuff on demand. So I'll, I'll check it out. Sounds interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you watched any it. like really uh, Curse of Oak fun. Island or anything like that? Yeah. I. Oh yeah. I love it. Every show. time I find it, I just find myself compelled to watch it. <laughs> so. Because you know it's it's history and it's kind of yeah. could well, be cool, could not be cool. I hate how they drag it out. I wish they would just say, you know, yes, we found you know eighteen <laughs> trillion dollars worth of stuff, or uh, we got to the end of the hole and there was a smiley face emoji waiting on us. So, well, you gotta build, gotta build the drama. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, well, this is this is like that, but way more it's steroids you know it's pirate ships and spacecraft and the whole bit and it's it's way over the top but uh, it's very believable and it's a really well done all right seth am i right that you didn't give us any tech news this week or did did that did i am i looking at a different copy of the document no i didn't put any tech news in that's fine i I just want i mean you know i because every time i do we don't use it so (laughs) well you know you're only cheating yourself, Seth. <laughs> yeah, like I say, I've, I've been—I was a little out of it this afternoon. So, teacher sorry. never takes up the homework. Um, I just wanted to say I had one of those moments yesterday where it was um, a: I'm in the wrong business, and b: I'm really glad I'm not in that business. Um, I had some tree work that needed to be done. Uh, you Texas people won't understand, but apparently in other parts of the world, trees grow bigger than about forty feet. Um, and, and when trees get really big, you can't just put a chainsaw on a pole and take care of them yourself. You would need rigging and, and pulleys and, and trained professionals. And outside of my house, there's some hundred ish feet tall pine trees. Um, and so I needed some professional, when we first bought the house last summer, we knew it was going to be needed to be done. Uh, but when one of the last, uh, uh, big storms came through and uh, a branch started tapping on my daughter's bedroom window, it didn't come through it, but it had moved to the point where it was banging on it. It was okay. Then now it's time to deal with it. So, uh, I called in uh, a tree service to take out a couple of dead trees. Uh, and again, uh, if, if you, if you're like me, you won't believe the story. Because before I moved here, I didn't. I thought that's ridiculous. You don't hire people to take down trees. You go get an axe and you do it yourself. No, not when the tree is uh, seventy-five feet tall and will fall on you know somebody else's property if you don't deal with it properly. You need professionals, and so I called in these professionals and paid them like three weeks salary. It was it was not an inexpensive process at all. And I was thinking, man, I'm in the wrong business. These guys are working for a day and, and I paid them that much money. Uh, I need to look into this. And then I watched them work for a day and I'm pretty sure they're underpaid. Um, <laughs> these guys were just, uh, I always love watching really skilled people do whatever they do, even if what they're doing doesn't interest me. I used to love to watch uh, Tiger Woods play golf. Um, back when he was on his, his rise to, to prominence because it was so clear that he was a special guy, even though I don't care anything about golf. Um, and I, I, one of my favorite things to do is watch the garbage truck come through 
any neighborhood because they move with such a, a fluidity and and there's music in what they do they've done the same thing thousands of times they're they're uh they maneuver these uh, thousands of pounds of machinery like ballet dancers it's, it's amazing and watching these guys was sort of the same way they didn't have to talk to each other they each knew what they needed to do it was a crew of about eight people and they were doing some really complicated stuff throwing a pulley over this tree tying it onto this limb these two guys uh pull it back while this one uh buttresses it while this guy climbs up and and hacks off just in the right uh area so that you don't take too much that these two guys down here can't handle the weight of it and i was it was just amazing watching them work but also gosh it had to be the hardest thing that a human could do uh standing up on the top of the tree literally gripping the tree with your with your ankles um you know with the spikes uh hanging out over a limb trusting that little piece of nylon to hold you up Uh, i have much respect for what they do i just wanted to they'll never listen to this i probably don't speak english well enough to listen to it uh based on my experiences with them yesterday but it was just so cool if you ever get a chance to watch some professional tree people do their thing it's a pretty cool show did you offer them ice water or the room temperature water <laughs> well they brought their own cooler of oh, beverages okay. um so i didn't offer them anything other than money. okay um, sorry i was just you know trying to tie this into few, uh, previous episodes right i got it um uh, miles i'm guessing there aren't large trees in the desert either no palm yeah. trees though okay we got you know because we'll we'll get the, this time of year they all come knocking on your door to say can we go and trim your palms and of course you got to got to get it done although you'll have little beads all through your pool and everything so yeah it's it's amazing these guys they're crazy they they would take a chainsaw when it's running s- sort of attach it to yep. their belt and then start climbing up a palm tree you know just wrap their legs around it and manually just inch their way up the palm tree, whip the chainsaw out, and then zip, 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 zip. The thing's had a haircut, and they're down on the next one. They're, they're crazy. I, I don't know how they do it. They brought one of those big industrial mulchers and a, and a truck. And, I mean, this was a scale of work where they actually had to go empty the truck and come back. Uh, that, that was how much work I had to do uh, had have done uh, because it had been clearly ignored here for a decade or more. Um, but it was just so amazing to watch those guys work it, it was it was as good as any circus show truly and so since it was pine trees you really couldn't save it to burn in the house yeah well there was wasn't just pines the pines were just the biggest ones there was some uh oak and some maples and a uh uh, uh, uh the thing that drops the balls that are like death uh sweet gum, sweet trees. gum that one yeah we took one of those out because of the death balls it was actually perfectly healthy i just got tired of murdering myself walking out in my own driveway <laughs> um so much pain uh if if you think stepping on a lego is painful step on a sweet gum barefooted sweet gum ball uh rough rough um and i don't know what this means seth so black hat uh it's that movie starring chris samsworth before he was thor okay and it was it was a kind of a thriller whodunit mystery movie that the director tried so hard to make it an action movie it it was it was oh my gosh y'all this movie was so bad it was just it could have been great there were some i mean heavy good there could have it could have been great but it was bad so if you haven't seen black hat and based on how much movie how much money it made in the box office you didn't don't, <laughs> don't watch it now save yourself save your friends um if somebody even mentions the word black hat say i will shoot you if you watch that <laughs> 
um, and, you know, not pleasantly. So just a bad movie. And I was, you know, I was like, hey, you know, hacker culture kind of stuff. Um, if you do watch it, know that they take linear plot as just kind of a a guide, not something to be followed literally. Um, they The chaos theory of plot management, there's just plot points out there and they hit them in random orders and it's, it's not good for anybody. So don't watch Black Hat. Very bad bad movie um it was over was the highlight of it yeah so wow. that's i mean that's really all i mean but you know it wasn't cheesy bad it was just bad bad so you know you can't you, you can't mock it it was just bad so stay away all right uh, and i wanted to share an experience with uh, with google now you guys may remember this being in the tech industry um this was probably five or six years ago uh sergey brin uh, was doing of Google was doing a talk, and he said that our goal uh, in the future is to have uh, gathered enough data and to have tailored things enough to you that you could be walking around and 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 our system says uh, we know you need some new pants. There's pants on sale over here. Would you like to go get some of those? You guys remember that that speech that he gave? It it made big news because people were like, you know, the pants police. I, I don't want Google to know if I need pants, and it was it was the talk of all the blogs for a while. Um, I had that experience with Google now this weekend, uh, or this or last weekend, actually. Um, I have been doing, uh, my, my ongoing man cave, um, uh, project. <clears throat> I've been looking for, uh, projectors, passively looking for projectors. I, I have, you know, I bought a couple of, of eBay specials and, and they were doing the f- job, but I, I really wanted a, a, a full 1080p high quality 3000 lumens projector. So I've just been passively looking for stuff using Chrome and Google to search for those things. Um, and not really with any intention to buy. They typically run anywhere from eight to $1,200 for a good one. And I'm just not ready to plunk down that kind of money yet, but I want to stay abreast of, you know, what's coming out, what the new models are, that kind of thing. And, um, one day at work, uh, I got a, a Google Now card pop up uh, that said, you might be interested in this deal. Uh, and it was Newegg was selling uh, off their 2017 model projectors before the 2018s come in at the end of the month. Um, and they were selling BenQ, B-E-N-Q. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. That's how I say it. They're, I think they're a Korean manufacturer, but they're one of the... the uh, top uh, home enthusiast projector people they make high quality projectors that that people really like uh but still uh 1200 8 to 1200 is is pretty standard and um um new egg was selling these via an ebay store uh i also use ebay so google is tracking that sort of stuff um and they were selling them for uh 379 dollars um that ordinarily would i mean it's like i went and looked on amazon and i could buy that model from amazon for like 490 um if used it was like it was 500 dollars used new ones were still going for seven eight hundred and new egg had uh like less than 150 of them to sell and it was just a flash sale and google said hey you might be interested in this and i said you know what i am interested in that so i purchased at you know less than half price uh because of google's creepy ai and so i'm all saying you know uh, all hail the creepy ai what do you guys think about that experience? Is that is that creepy or is that beneficial or is it both? I like just brought Skynet price. one closer to reality. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, no, it sounds like a bargain. It sounds like you got a sweet deal. I did, and I would never have known about that because it was like I said, it was a flash thing. They they only like I said they were only selling hundred and fifty or so units. It didn't last long, a couple of hours, 
And the odds of me stumbling into that, um, you know, doing my searches are, are almost nothing. It wouldn't have happened uh, if it hadn't been for creepy Google spying on me. Uh, and, you know, I'm okay with that because I get value out of Google collecting my data. And I, you know, we've had this privacy discussion many, many times and, you know, I'm, I'm all about give, give you all my data to get as long as I can get value back. Um, and so by collecting some really innocuous data, stuff I'm interested in, the searches I made correlating my searches on, on eBay with my searches on Google, um, it, it put these things together and said, this is something you're interested in. Yeah, it is something I'm interested in. You got it right. And but also knowing that I'm a world class tightwad, um, it it put that together and said you might be interested in this deal. So that to me is the system working exactly like it's supposed to. And if that's not AI, it's a darn good facsimile of it. That is a that is an automated agent working on my behalf intelligently. And welcome to the future. Do you do you mount your uh, projector to the ceiling? Is, it, is that how you probably set it up? Um, well, I have I built a, uh, a rack uh, just out of, in the back of my uh, man cave that hold, holds the, the surround sound system and the Roku and the TiVo uh, and, and has a shelf for the uh, projector. It is upside down, though, because most projectors are sort of built with a point-up model, assuming you're going to put it on a, a desktop. Uh, so upright, it was pointing at the ceiling, so I flipped it upside down. So yes and no. Oh, okay. That's cool. cool. No, no other comments on that? I thought surely this would get some comments about the privacy police. No, well, I mean, I, I said you just brought Skynet one closer, uh, one step closer to reality. I, you know, look, I, I understand it's, there's nothing wrong with that. I just, I enjoy the thrill of the hunt uh, when I'm looking for stuff at, and, that's part of just, you know, hey, I was able to find this bargain appeals to me more than some computer program saying, hey, we found this bargain for you. Would you like to buy it? I'm like, no, because I didn't find it, dadgummit. <laughs> and that's literally what I think. It's like, you know, and um, so that's just that's me. And again, I know it's going to win because I'm one of those reverse predictors that, you know, Seth is against it. We're in. Woohoo! Miles, what do you think about it? Well, it's an issue of trust, isn't it? You know, little by little, we give so much to Google and they give you back a little bit, little bit at a time. But you, yeah. I mean, the question really comes down to what really was the actual cost of that in terms of information that you've given them over the years um, and the value that that information has to Google so that they could give you something back, which clearly in this particular case didn't cost Google anything. They're just matching a vendor who's got a deal with a, a customer who's got a need, and, you know, the query comes up with you as the as the result. So, yeah, I mean, I get it. I understand. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm a little uh, cautious, but how do you be a little cautious in the 21st century anymore? You... You can't. I mean, we, come on. Let's just give up. <laughs> we geeks all want the the computerized assist. We all want Jarvis, right? And we we've all wanted Jarvis forever. Uh, uh, you guys probably saw the that TV show back in the nineties uh, called Time Tracks, where the guy had this like credit card oh, sized yeah. computer that he carried with him. Uh, there's so many iterations of that in sci fi going back decades. 
why is that such a common theme? Because we all want it. We all want an R2-D2. We all want a C-3PO. Uh, we all want a Jarvis. Um, and you don't get Jarvis without giving control. I mean, Tony Stark, Jarvis runs everything, runs his entire empire. Uh, and now I, uh, some of you people are going to say, yeah, but he owns and controls Jarvis, right? And Google is someplace else. But somebody's got to build that logic. Somebody's got to make that happen. You're always going to be buying your product. You know, even Luke bought the droids from the Jawas, and, and they had previous owners. That's all. You're never going to be able. You're not. You're not Tony Stark. You're not going to be able to build that. So if you want Jarvis, you're going to have to trust the builders of Jarvis. Um, okay, but you could argue that Luke was merely getting back stolen property because they used to belong <laughs> to his dad. So he was having to pay the fence for something that his family rightfully owned. So it's one thing if you build it and you develop it. Uh, I'm sorry. I just he didn't, he didn't build R2. He built C-3PO, though. I'll, I'll tell you what. No, but I'll tell you what. He had how, R2. About, how about this idea? It's okay and absolutely good and acceptable, and we should celebrate it as long as whatever Google is providing that you can live without it, should the day come that Google is no longer your favorite, you know, um, search engine or your favorite automotive car product or whatever it might be, that, you you know, that we have at least uh, a semblance of control unto ourselves. The second we give that up and we can't live without Google, then I've got reservations. And I, I, think- I would have a very difficult time functioning without my Google services. I have I depend on them to schedule and remind and and run my life. I truly do. There are other services that could probably I could probably cobble together the same types of things without Google. But honestly, I would have a very difficult time if Google went away and all their services went away tomorrow. Well, yeah, I mean, you'd have a di- well. I, I don't know if I'd call it, for me, I wouldn't call it a difficult time. I would say I would be far less efficient. Like, I'm still somebody who can read a map. I can, you know, get a map and work out where to go in the car. I don't need a GPS device telling me to turn left, at the, you know, in the next 400 yards. Um, it's nice, but I don't need it. Uh, and and I, I guess I could say the same thing about search engines, I can still go to the library and look something up. Yeah. It's an inconvenience, but, hey, but this know. is next week's topic. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. You're ruining next week's show. <laughs> well, that's what I do. Well, I ruin there's a teaser for you. <laughs> well, uh, the, my lead-in there was uh, yet another YouTube service um, that Miles, you're on board with at the moment, anyway. Is YouTube TV? Yeah. Well, I, I am because this is lesser of evils, right? Because I think that cable television and cable providers started off as absolutely amazingly great and gave us so many channels and all that stuff. But it was originally on the pretense that if you paid them a subscription, you wouldn't get ads. Well, that didn't stay around very long. Anyway, eventually we got ads. And then it seemed like the amount of money was just never enough. And we all ended up paying over 100 bucks a month for cable and then found that there was just never anything good enough on there to justify it. So I'm cool with like YouTube TV coming around with a $35, you know, buffet model, all you can eat TV on your device on six devices and cloud DVR and all the things that they're doing. But, you know, it, it, it all comes down to content. Well, this week I found out that, well, I found out this a little while ago, but they'd added the um, a- a- AMC networks uh, to their lineup, which included um, 
AMC, so you've watched The Walking Dead and whatever else. Um, and then also things like BBC America got added on, uh, which was good. There was about a half a dozen or a dozen channels added on. And then uh, last week, uh, all these Hispanic channels started to add in, um, like Telemundo, I guess, and a, a bunch of others. And it's just showing me that if this continues at the pace they're continuing, uh, they will be the cable company. And, um, you know, and that's fine at 35 bucks a month. It's a lot better than a hundred. Uh, yeah, but yeah, but I, cable started out at $35 a month too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Google's motto of do no evil. You don't see the little white card that's in front of the last part until we own their souls. So they keep that part kind of hidden. So, um, yeah, I don't know. You know, it, I would love to get it, but then I would have to buy another antenna and um, get another up to eight. Um, what do I have? Up to eight megs. And it's just, it's more crap. Ah. So, <laughs> well, you know, uh, YouTube, uh, no, uh, uh, Apple had the clout uh, to go to the music industry and say 99 cents a song take it or leave it you'll either sell your songs to us or people will steal them done um and you you take it or leave it and the and the music industry took it um google has that kind of clout with the the cable company they can go to amc and say you know we're gonna pay you one-fifth of your carrier fee and we're gonna uh, send your content to uh 10 times as many people as you have right now take it or leave it um they have that kind of clout, and i expect in a year or two uh, for YouTube TV to be the premier cord cutter service. I really think that they have the ability to do that if they double down on it. Yeah, they're not far away from being in a position to do that. They just have to roll out regionally to, to everywhere they can. And they're missing maybe the Turner channels, the Turner network, stuff like CNN and so on. Uh, other than that, they've got sports They've got locals in most areas. Not that I really worry too much about that because I've got, you know, uh, uh, over-the-air free stuff for me. But it's it's very compelling. It's not far away, and uh, it's going to get better. Yeah, I'm still in the uh, PlayStation View camp, but Google's service offerings already beat it in several ways. Uh, uh, PlayStation View, I can do four things at once. Uh, their DVR feature is a very uh, air quotes DVR. Um, and Google, you know, they're saying, you know, record whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want, uh, true DVR. Uh, that's really the only, uh, that's really the only company out there that I think um, is offering a true cloud DVR, although other people are calling it that. Uh, I'm not on board with it yet, but the beauty of of this modern world is uh, you're free to jump, and none of these people have any kind of contracts. Sling TV, uh, Hulu, uh, Google, uh, PlayStation View, none of them. So you pay for a month, you don't like it, you jump ship. Um, you decide you don't like that, you come back. And it's not like DirecTV where, oh, well, you left us, and so now you have to pay the, the screw you price. Uh, instead of you know every all new customers get this really great price but since you were a customer of ours a year ago you get the screw you price uh and these people aren't doing that yet yet because <laughs> direct tv used to not do that this used to not do that you know yeah. back when they were the new people trying to attract and fight you know the cable companies until they got bigger than the cable companies and they thought hey ha <laughs> We'll show you. I mean, no, it wasn't they got bigger than the cable company. They were bought 
buy a cable company. Uh, Nordic in the chat room says that you've said before that Google has yet to find a business model that makes money. Could this be it? This is actually, it dovetails beautifully with Google's only business, which is selling ads. Google is not a search company. They're not a car company. They're, they're an ad company. And where better to sell ads than YouTube TV? You're going to get those little pop-up things. They're going to, the, like you're seeing on YouTube now, um, context-sensitive ads uh, that are, are going to come up. And, of course, you can pay a fee to get rid of those. Uh, but that's that's going to be their model, I, I really think. And it's going to work uh, because uh, their service, their subscription fee probably isn't enough to cover their carriage cost. Uh, there always has to be some other thing there. Um, and I think that's what it's going to be. It's going to be the premium, the upsells uh, for, you know, for whatever. Uh, but, you know, Google is so big right now, the storage costs them literally nothing. You know, uh, and the the bandwidth pretty much costs them nothing because they're already they're already serving all that bandwidth, so it costs them less than it would you know Time Warner or some other company. Uh, but yeah, I think I think we're seeing the future of Google, uh, at least a future of Google. Hmm. Could be, could be. All right, and that's it for our stuff to talk about before we talk about stuff. Uh, and now uh, we're just gonna. Turn the uh, the floor over to Miles. I'm going to mute my microphone and uh, go uh, have a have a cozy beverage of my choice uh, while he talks about uh, international travel. Take it away, Miles. Have you ever turned up to an airport? I mean, a big airport. Um, this happened to me in LAX in the Tom Bradley terminal, where you walk into where the ticket counter is, and you look up on the board at this massive wall with all of the flights and where they're going to. And you see every, you know, all these different carriers. They're going to Shanghai. They're going to South Africa. They're going to Argentina, Kenya, Europe, Canada, wherever they're going. And you sort of thought to yourself, you know, the level of effort for me to walk through that TSA security thing and go to gate whatever um, means that for the same amount of effort, I could end up getting out of the plane in any of these places on the world. And that fascinates me, that whole idea that you can walk into an airport terminal, pay some money, and choose which gate to go and walk into a plane and get off in some far-flung place on the other side of the world, and it's just that easy. It really is magical. You, you drop a pin anywhere on a globe, and I can be there in 24 hours. Yeah, it's, it's, it's nuts. And, and what I started started to realize when I was, I guess I started traveling internationally in my 20s, but um, what happens to you when you, you step in a place that's not your country, that maybe doesn't speak your language or doesn't share a lot of your cultural uh, uh, values, or they, they, maybe they do, but they look at things differently. They have different cultures, different approaches, different um, policies, procedures. You start hearing other people talking about the way they live their lives and everything starts widening in your brain. It's not, you, you have a, a, a point of reference, which is so wider that is allows you to look back on your own life when you get home and compare what your day in the life looks like to somebody say in Romania or somebody in Thailand or somebody in Peru and everyone, we're all human beings. We all, you know, have similar goals, ambitions, and, and what we want to do with our lives. But the experience that somebody has on another planet compared to mine is just fascinating to me. So I got you get this thing, they, you know, most travelers call it the travel bug. 
And uh, once you start, it's addictive and you can't get rid of it. Um, you know, where I come from, any flight to an English-speaking country, with the exception of New Zealand, usually was about 13 to 15 hours minimum. Um, if you wanted to fly to London, it's 26 hours. If you want to fly to Los Angeles, it's about 15. Um, it's, you know, it's a pretty big ordeal, so you don't do it all that often. But living in the United States... I'm like a kid in a candy store, you know, because I couldn't make those trips, you know, without spending a day of my life sitting in a silver tube. Um, now it's, you know, five hours and I can be in Nova Scotia or eight hours I'm in London or it, it, four hours I'm in Costa Rica. I mean, this is crazy. And so I've become a travel geek. Um, you know, I'm a geek in a lot of things, but I just love travel. And, uh, and so what I've done over the years, I, I, did a, I did an inventory count once of how many times I've crossed the equator in a plane. I think I'm up to 42 times now, which is crazy. <laughs> but it's That's just because, you know, it, it is a lot. But, you know, you go home, that's two times. Like, you go there, you come back. And uh, you do it every year or two, and you also do all these other trips. And then there were times uh, back in the 90s I had to do four or five or six times a year. Um, yeah, you, you know, it builds up. And so now these days I tend to find myself heading towards Europe and Asia and South America. Uh, but what, what's happened is I find that every single time I do it, I have a checklist of all these things that I have to do to make sure that everything's done. Um, and most importantly, I've learned how to hack the system where I effectively travel basically for free. Um, but I'm not going to go into details about that. I will go into details about how you can get the most out of your travel op opportunities. But though. for 1995, he'll sell you his 35-minute <laughs> video that explains all his travel secrets. Well, no. Well, let's no, we won't go there. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway um, so that's it. I mean, the... We were talking a little earlier before about the fact that domestic travel and international travel, uh, yeah, you do get on a plane possibly, and yeah, you do end up at, you know getting out on another end somewhere, but there's a whole different game when you're prepping for international travel as opposed to domestic. Um, so I, that's basically the, the pretense to all of the stuff that I can go through and talk about. Um, but before I do that, um, I was just going to ask you guys about your domestic travel experiences and how that's how that might have played in as well. I, I'm a I, I'm not a flyer. Uh, I have flown uh, a dozen times, maybe total, in my life. Um, I'm larger than the average person, and more and more uh, airlines are antithetical to anybody who is larger than a small person. I mean, even even normal middle size, average size people are getting squeezed out these days. So whenever possible, I drive. Uh, if it's less than like 30 hours in the car, I would choose to drive. Um, because flying, you end up having to rent a car most places anyway. Uh, so say you go to the, it, 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 say you live an hour from the airport which most people don't live within an hour of the airport. Most people live farther away than that, but let's call it an hour. You go there, um, you got to park, you got to go through security. You're supposed to be there now, like they say, like three hours ahead of time. I don't know if anybody actually does that, but those are the rules. So there's five hours of your time there just getting 
to the plane, uh, to the airport and on the plane. Then when you get off wherever you're going, uh, again, most people don't travel to within an hour of the airport. You're going somewhere uh, away from the airport unless it's a resort type thing. Uh, you got to rent a car. You got to go through uh, uh, all the deplaning and stuff. You got to you got to go argue with the people because you lost your bags. Uh, so, you know, I, you're going to lose six to, to eight hours just in the non-flight stuff. So it, I'm a I'm a car guy, and I figure at any point I'd just rather be in my own vehicle and enjoy the open road. So that's my uh, travel philosophy. Yeah, Jeez. no, I I'm I'm a lot with uh, Mark. You know, I mean, I've I've went to Hawaii. Um, well, I went there once, I guess. Wow, two years ago now. Um, I've actually I've been to Australia once, so I've crossed the equator total of two times but um you know the last job i had was me flying around the country uh to different sites um a lot of them were you know um well i don't know just different places and so i got to travel a little bit there and i just i hate the hassle i hate the fact that you know they just want to tell you shut up and move you know you're not allowed to be a human being you're automatically a terrorist uh, sleeper agent and you know and i mean okay i am fat and like i'm wearing my backpack while i'm sitting in line 30 minutes and it's like well the reason you got additional screening was because of the sweat and i'm like i had i was sweating because of the backpack that i was wearing and then you know i look on the spot and my I, i'm fat i'm not in any way saying i'm not fat but my fat it almost is like a box in front of me and so i look on the thing and it says you know these possible things and one time i was just a little ticked off so i just held up my shirt and said see it's just fat and you know they can't do anything whenever you show them it's just fat and so <laughs> i hate the fact that me within this country traveling to another place within this country i am treated like a second class criminal mastermind suicide bomber who apparently you know wants to murder children and rape cattle or something and you're just you're not allowed to be human when you're flying and i hate that so i would much rather drive but i really you know i don't have super strong opinions on that (laughs) <laughs> the yeah, TSA I get, is your friend. Huh? I get the <laughs> quote random uh, security checks every time I fly. They dust my hands for for gunpowder residue. Uh, they they feel me up when I walk through the the metal detectors. Every time I get the random treatment. Um, I'm pretty sure that's not random. Yeah, I, and you know, I like okay, I I was going. My job was to be a tech, and so I have my tech kit in my carry on. Well had an issue with luggage and stuff and so this person found me this ticket hey you can go right now carry on your flag so i'm in the line i'm about next up and i go oh crap i have my toolkit on in this bag i they'll they'll bury me under the airport so i had to like go back and just say hey you know i have a toolkit in here you know i think it has you know it has like a screwdriver and stuff like that in it and they're like oh okay so in that case here sit down for three hours till another flight i'm just like come on it's ridiculous (laughs) all right so enough whining about airports uh, (laughs) (laughs) well let let me go through some of the, the the things that i've used that make life a little easier um so the, these are kind of I've got this broken up into different sections and so on. But I'll, I'll start I'll start with airlines since we're talking about it. Um, okay, so I'm going to go through a lot of this stuff pretty quickly because there's a lot of it. 
if anybody wants to go back and listen to this sort of stuff afterwards and take their own notes or compare their own experiences or add it together, you know, maybe that we can all create a, a community list of how to hack the travel system and make it actually pleasant. Um, okay, so first one, I would say in terms of airports and airlines, if you're going to go somewhere, book your ticket at least a week ahead. Now, that's domestic and international rules. Um, international, probably a month ahead is a better idea, but I literally, they will double the price on your ticket if you don't book it within seven days of your departure, if you book it uh, uh, shorter than seven days. And it's been and my experience also, Miles, maybe you can corroborate this, that mm-hmm. if you plan it too far ahead, it's more expensive. Uh, if uh, you're planning it four months ahead, you're not going to get any kind of deals. Uh, at least in, in my experience, uh, you end up paying uh, almost a premium price because you're overprepared. Yeah, you will. Um, airlines will allow you to book up to 12 months ahead for a ticket. Uh, the problem with that is that often that they will do seasonal breaks so that you might get a better price unexpectedly. Um, but it's very, very hard to predict that stuff. And normally there's very short uh, booking windows that allow you to take advantage of it. Uh, so I've always booked as far ahead as I can. Uh, most of the time, however, I book with frequent flyer miles. So I'm dealing with a very small number of allotted seat availability. And so doing it well ahead of time is the way to grab the best seats, particularly if you're looking at trying to travel in business or first class. Uh, there are very, very few seats available on most of the carriers, particularly um, some of the longer routes like across the Pacific. Uh, trying to get those seats is next to impossible. So I would book them well ahead of time. But if you're going to pay money for the ticket, uh, yeah, you could definitely uh, get lucky and they could give you some sweetheart deal. And uh, yeah, don't forget also, a lot of times if you book a ticket that's refundable, there may be some penalties, but uh, you can check with the carrier. You may be able to cancel one ticket and then rebook it again. And the airlines know this. So if you call them up and say, hey, listen, I bought this ticket a while ago and now you've got this deal. You know what? I, I, nine times out of ten, my experience has been that they'll actually just give you the deal. Um, so it's worth, you know, sometimes calling doesn't hurt. Uh, all right. So let, let's talk a little bit about different carriers and how they work. Um, carriers used to make money on tickets. Uh, these days they make a fair amount of money on tickets because of fuel costs being so low. Uh, but most of the time, particularly when fuel was much higher, they made their money on ancillary charges, particularly things like baggage. So now it used to be you could travel uh, – well, internationally, you can typically travel uh, with one bag in the hold for free up to 50 kilos uh, – or sorry, 75 kilos or maybe 50 pounds – uh, but if you're traveling within certain regions, those rules will change. Uh, Europe will give you under certain ticket uh, classes up to 23 kilograms uh, for free. And then anything after that you pay and you pay big time. Um, this will catch you off guard if you don't know about it ahead of time. So get your, uh, get your understanding of what the baggage rules are on the carriers that you're going to be traveling on. Um, I've also, uh, I was in Paris last year. And we didn't realize that uh, the carrier, which was EasyJet, we were flying to Prague. And uh, we didn't realize that these guys were going to charge us for carry-on bag. And it's a small, regular carry-on size luggage. And because I did not know that, and I found out at literally the gate about to board the plane, they charge you three times the normal price for baggage when you're in that situation. Because what are you going to do? 
Um, and the travel industry are sharks, and they'll take any advantage of this that they can, which is why we geeks have to be more sharkish than they are and know ahead of time what the deal is. So just be careful. Um, they will slug you when they can. Uh, okay, finding the best deal on tickets. Well, there's a whole bunch of little tricks. This is a whole science unto itself. Travel geeks go nuts on this thing. Uh, there is a website called ITA Matrix. It's now owned by Google. It should be uh, in, you know, bookmarked in your browser if you're a traveler. Uh, you can put in your destination, where, you, where you're coming from, where you're going to. You can do multi-legged uh, trips. Uh, and it will tell you every single carrier that will get you there or within QE of an, air, uh, an airport near it. Um, and, you know, deals that are within X number of days of your intended flying time. And using tools like this gives you a window into how many options you really do have. Uh, it's an important tool to use. It's free. Um, you might want to consider if you're traveling, for example, from, uh, I don't know, say New York to uh, Rome. You might find that uh, it's cheaper to book a flight to uh, New York to London on one carrier, let's say Delta, uh, and then book a carrier from New York to Rome on Ryanair or one of the cheaper carriers in Europe and do everything one way. And then book your return trip back one way uh, with different carriers to get the best deal. It used to be that people thought that was going to flag them for terrorism. You know, one, who buys one-way tickets but somebody who doesn't expect to, you know, they're going to blow themselves up on the other end or whatever. Not the case. Most people these days buy one-way tickets to get the best deals. Uh, and so it's an important thing to know the different carriers that serve the different routes, but do one way and you will find yourself often that you can get the best deal. Um, there's another option which a lot of people do is considering throwaway legs and what that means is that if you wanted to fly to, say, Los Angeles to Cleveland, and that, you know, that route is not a common route, so they are going to charge you um, – I'm sorry, let, let's change that. Let's say you want to fly from L.A. to Chicago, and that is a common route, and they know that certain times of the year everybody wants to fly that route. So what you do is you book a flight that goes to a non-common uh, endpoint that's cheaper – and you throw away the last leg of it. So let's say you've, you want to get to Chicago, but there's a flight to Cleveland that goes through Chicago. You might be surprised that the flight to Cleveland is half the price of a flight to Chicago. So you go to Chicago, you dump the last leg of the trip, you get off, and, and you're good to go, and you've got a half-price ticket. Which um, means you, you better be carrying with on. Car with, car with checked baggage, right? No, no, you can't. You want to do it with carry-on. But okay. my philosophy is to do everything with carry-on. I, I travel all around the world, and I only do carry-on. I never do check baggage. Um, I've lost bags or had bags lost way too many times, uh, and I just rebelled against that and just did it all myself. But as a result, I opened myself up to take advantage of those sorts of things. Um, and that does work. And they, the airlines don't like it. They can't stand the fact that they've got a seat allocated to you for that last leg and you're not on it. And so what they do is they oversell the tickets and next thing you know, you see some guy getting dragged down the aisle on a United flight because he didn't want to give his seat up. That is a product of doing that sort of thing, but it's, it's how the world works. Just so, out of curiosity, I mm -hmm. was on your Matrix software and I, if I wanted to fly myself, my wife, and my three children 
from Atlanta to Heathrow, mm-hmm. uh, and I put in a, a, a around the July fourth, like leaving somewhere around the last week. I gave it some uh, parameters, some fuzzy parameters, somewhere around the last week of June, returning sometime after the first week of July. Mm-hmm. Just twelve thousand dollars. Just by the way, yeah. <laughs> this is why you, I don't fly. No, no, no. You, you don't do that route. Um, the reason why it's so expensive is that London Heathrow charges enormous fuel serv- uh, fuel surcharges and airport tariffs to land in that airport. So what you do is you fly into Dublin and then you just get a little shuttle flight across. And, in fact, you don't even need to go into Heathrow. If you fly into Dublin, you can just get a shuttle fl- uh, flight into Gatwick, which is another airport there. And if you need to get to Heathrow, there's, a f- there's an almost free metro train that will just get you straight there. Um, or you can fly into Frankfurt and do the same thing. You can fly into Rome. You can fly into Barcelona. It doesn't matter. You can fly into Brussels. Um, they're all cheap if you know how to play the game. <laughs> but don't fly into Heathrow. You know, I tell you, a good place where you can do it really, really cheap is uh, Paris. Because Paris, everyone thinks Paris is a terrorist uh, haven. And that if they go there, they're going to get blown up. So what you do is you fly into Charles de Gaulle Airport on an Air France ticket because they're really, really cheap. And then you take the channel to London. And you'll be surprised how cheap it comes out to. <laughs> it only saved me $1,000 going to Dublin. Did it? Oh, well, it's a, it's a start. Yeah. We, can, we can continue to get that down. I, I, I would think that with a little bit of time and energy, we could at least get it down to maybe 30 40% of that price. Yeah, Mark, you got to look at it this way. That $1,000 was only the first service pack. You got all (laughs) other kinds of hot fixes and security updates before you get that down to a usable level. And I did pick business class because I'm not going to fly economy overseas. I just, I can't physically make myself do that. So I'm sure it'd be a lot cheaper if I was willing to ride with the luggage. Well, I tell you what, um, I won't give away the farm here, but I will tell you that since you live in the hub of Delta, um, with a little bit of credit card and, and travel hacking, we could get you on a flight that wouldn't cost you a thing. But it takes a little bit of work and you will sacrifice some time for the money. But, you know, hey, it's all doable. All right. I, I didn't mean to de- derail you, but just while you're uh, going on about finding the best right uh, places, uh, uh, de- deals and all that sort of stuff, um, I just wanted to illustrate why for me, international travel is just not practical okay yeah i i I will i want to challenge you to change that par that that paradigm or uh on that because i think it can be but um let me go through this stuff first we'll see if we've got any time left and we can hack a little bit all right okay um all right so there's another thing you might want to know about it's called open jaw open jaw bookings is when you uh have a multi-legged journey that um, this one's an interesting one. Okay, try this one out. There used to be, and some carriers still do this, there used to be this thing where you could fly from one region to another, regions being typically countries or continents, and as a result of doing that trans-regional trip, they would give you a free ticket inside the region to use uh, up to 12 months later. And there used to be a little trick, and uh, people still do it. And what they do is they break up their travel into multiple travel trips over, say, a 12-month period. I'll give you an example. If I want to fly for free from Phoenix to, let's say, Seattle, 
but I know that I'm going to do that sometime later in the year. But for right now, what I, I I'm going to go to I don't know Rome. So I'm going to book a flight that's trans-regional that's going to go, I don't know, Phoenix, JFK, JFK to Rome. And then I'm going to come back, and this is all on one ticket. So that one ticket gives me the routes in and out. And when I get in Rome, I have the option to maybe do a little inter-Europe trip to, say, I don't know, Sweden, um, if I want. I mean, whatever I want to do. It's no big deal. But I know that the inter-trips within Europe are really, really cheap on the local carriers. So I'm not going to use my international option, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go Phoenix, JFK. I'm going to go JFK, Rome. I'm going to come back from Rome, but I'm not going to land in Phoenix. I'm going to make sure that what I do is I land somewhere other than Phoenix, maybe Miami, and then I'm going to buy one of those cheap Southwest flights that gets me one way Miami to Phoenix for, I don't know, a hundred bucks or something like that, a couple hundred bucks maybe. The reason I do that is I haven't completed my journey and I have up to 12 months to complete it, but I'm back in Phoenix now because I bought that little trip, that little uh, interconnection, which was probably really cheap or whatever. I can use the last leg of that trip up to 12 months ahead and I can use it anywhere that's within the region. That may include Hawaii or Alaska or Puerto Rico or wherever. So basically, by extending that trip over a 12-month period and never actually completing it, the last ticket's free. Now, I have to get back from there, but half price is a good deal, right? So that, that's a pretty common little uh, trick people do when they do interregional tra uh, travel is they never actually end up coming back to where they left. So just, just saying, I'll put that out there. People can think about that one and work it out, but it can be done. Uh, okay. All right. So I'm going to get through this list pretty quickly because there's a lot of stuff here. Just finishing up on some of the airline stuff. Uh, a lot of people will buy travel insurance when they travel. Uh, if you have the right credit card, you probably don't need to do that. Most uh, larger credit cards, the uh, more expensive ones, the ones that have the annual fees and so on, often include free travel insurance. So check your credit card terms and conditions, you can save yourself a packet. Um, my, my, my take on travel insurance is it's a penalty for carrying through with your plans. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It pretty much. I mean, it's, it's supposed to be things like lost luggage, stolen stuff, uh, you know, hospitalization, tra medical, um, and it rarely ever gets claimed. But when it does, the insurance companies may not pay. They really don't pay much. But if a credit card company offers it, they typically have to. So I would um, check your credit card offerings because often it's a nice little additional perk they keep, you know, for you to have that card. They may include that and people forget about it. Okay, so you were talking about seats before. Um, one of the things that's interesting about most of the planes these days, they're either made by Boeing or they're made by uh, uh, Airbus. Airbus. Yeah. So um, – there are pretty common, there are, you know, obviously different models of planes and some are extended range, some are long range and some are just regular uh, flights. But as a result, there are a few websites out there that you can actually log into if you know the uh, type of plane that you're, carry, uh, that you're going on and who the carrier is, they'll actually give you everything about the seating on the plane and where the best seats are. And you might be surprised where they actually end up being and they'll tell you where not to get that seat 
because maybe it's, you know, next to the bathroom or something and it stinks half the flight or, or you know, we you don't know. You just got to try the stuff out. But I, I put a link in here to one of those. I think it's Seat Guru, um, and they will actually let you pre-check uh, the seat. Now, this was actually important. I've discovered that if you have the choice of carriers, particularly in my case, going from California to Australia, it's a 15-hour flight. It's a long flight. Um Having a nice size seat's a, a handy thing. Well, Virgin uh, Australia offer a 19-inch wide seat, which is standard economy. Um, Qantas have a 17-inch seat. Now, two inches doesn't sound like much. It's a lot when you're sitting there for 15 hours, trust me. And if the price is similar for both carriers, go with the one with the wide seat but they're not going to tell you they're wider than so-and-so. They, they will just say it's an economy class seat. It'll cost this amount of money, but you can go to SeatGuru and find out exactly what you're getting for the money, uh, and that's probably not a bad idea. Um, I, I'm also a bit of a fan of booking seating towards the rear of the plane if you're doing carry-on. Um, if you've ever been on a busy plane that's been booked and you happen to be in the last boarding group, you'll know that uh, sometimes you can't find a place to put your bag because it's all been taken up. Well, of course, if you, you don't know that until you're already halfway down the plane and you can't go backwards because there's this line of people behind you. Uh, if you're at the back of the plane, the chances are you're going to find a, a place to put your bag that's going to be in front of you when you deplane. Uh, and that means that you're not going to wait for everybody else to get off the plane before you can go back behind you to find the bag because there was only one spot left and it's behind you. So if you aim to go to the back of the plane, you'll find all the spots for the luggage, and that way when you deplane, you'll be going forward. Does that make sense? Sure. Yep. yep. It's something people forget. Everyone wants to sit at the front of the plane. Good luck if your bag won't fit there. So uh, something just to keep in mind. Okay, airports. These are interesting. Airports are changing so much over the years. They're turning into shopping malls and strip malls and restaurants and food courts. It's crazy. They've got to do this stuff, I guess, to bring the business in. Well, one of the things they do is they give you lounges. Uh, certain carriers have lounges, like Delta has a lounge. American Airlines has Admiral's Club. Uh, there's a whole bunch of lounges. Well, what people forget is that often certain credit cards give you free lounge access for you and the family. And the best uh, provider of that is American Express. If you have a platinum card, uh, and look, platinum card's not cheap, but if you're a business owner, you might have one of these. Uh, that will allow you and two other members to enjoy their Centurion lounges effectively for free. And that means free drinks, free food, free booze, free relaxation. They even have massages, everything, showers. The whole bit won't cost you a dime if you got the right credit card. Uh, so next time you're looking to shop around to get a credit card, consider that if you are traveling, you might want to consider one that has all the perks. Um, they also include a thing called a priority pass now, which is, gives you access to all of these third-party lounges, uh, all over the place, and with that card, again, you and the family members can come in and use it for free. Some restrictions apply. For the most part, it's pretty valuable. Um, other cards that give you lounge access include Citibank. They have uh, a Citibank. I think Barclays do it as well. They have an Admirals Club for American Airlines. Uh, but I personally like the Centurion Lounge on American Express ones, and they're in a lot of major airports. Um, I think probably about a dozen in the U.S., 
but they're uh, they're really good. They're really good. All right. Um, okay. So that's airports. Let's let's get to hotels real fast. Um, hotels uh, give you a lot of perks if you stay within the chain. Uh, often, if you book like four or five nights in a hotel, they might give you the uh, another night for free. There are chains that own chains of hotels, and the biggest ones are Starwoods. Uh, they have a program called the Starwoods Preferred Guest. Uh, Hilton has an honors program. IHG, which is like Hyatt, they have a program. Um, uh, Intercontinental, I think that is. I'm sorry. Uh, Hyatt have their own program. Um, and, uh, you, you know, if you stay within the, the family, uh, you can get a lot of cross-benefit from that. Um, there's ways to play it. I... Okay, I'll admit I don't pay for for uh, hotel accommodation when I can get away with it because I use Starwood's preferred guest and I can stay at a Sheraton or a Western pretty much for free. And uh, that's because of a points thing that they've got going and the way that you accumulate. Um, but it sure helps when you're staying at a nice five-star, you know, Western when you've just gotten off a plane for 10 hours. Um, so anyway, I won't go into too much detail, but those programs are not something you should ignore. Uh, they don't cost anything to sign up for it. And as you uh, stay in hotels, you're actually booking up uh, sort of credit towards the, a cheaper run down the line. Uh, also, if, you, if you're traveling for work um, and you're not taking advantage of all of these programs, you are doing yourself a disservice because you could be booking up all this stuff for the family for free that you could use for that, you know, summer vacation and it won't cost you anything just comes out of mileage. So yeah, that's a, that's a, a pro tip there. If your company is buying your uh, airline ticket and paying for your hotels, um, they're not taking those uh, frequent flyer miles or whatever. Uh, most of the time they can't. So you sign up with your own frequent flyer miles and your company is paying for the trips and you get the bonuses. Uh, that's definitely something if you're not doing that and you travel for work, you should. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I earned a few free nights, uh, doing that, which was cool. It is. And it, it, it just feels better when you don't have to pay for it. <laughs> I mean, right. it just does. And uh, look, I'll give you an example. Look, if you're traveling on American airlines for business and you have to travel all the time, you, you know, you're one of those people that has to do a lot of traveling for business and you're clocking up the miles. You can convert those miles over to, say, Air France, and I have seen deals where you could fly JFK to Paris for 12,500 miles one way, say 25,000 per person each way. It sure doesn't take very long to clock those sort of miles up if you're doing business travel. You'll, you'll easily do that. If you can do that a couple of times, there's the family to Paris. Um, so, you know, don't ignore them. It's, it's well worth grabbing these things. Um the other thing which is a big uh, thing that I like is Airbnb. Uh, Airbnb is obviously where people, you know, the whole idea was before if you had a spare room, you'd rent it out to people who were traveling and make a bit of money on it. But actually Airbnb's turned into a uh, distribution network for hotels that have excess rooms and you will stay at a top-class hotel and pay. I, I've I've stayed in hotels that would normally retail at $350 a night for 75 bucks because I bought it on Airbnb. And they are beautiful hotels. Um, in addition, you'll find that Airbnb have interesting places. I, uh, I was telling the guys the other day, uh, we're staying in Italy uh, on a trip coming up, and uh, we're going to end up staying in an old abbey uh, somewhere in Tuscany. 
that I found on Airbnb that was converted into a, a kind of like apartment style or condo units or or whatever. And it's it's like eighty five bucks a night. It's ridiculous. Um, so I don't mind that. It'd be a great experience if the place isn't, isn't haunted. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> but who knows? It's fun though, right? It's another adventure. But anyway, Airbnb is great. Um, okay. If you are traveling international, this is where you've got to deal with the fact that you're going from one government to another. Make sure your passport's in good shape. And what I mean by in good shape, if you look at the the last day that you're going to be traveling on your return leg, you need to have at least six months of additional time left on your passport before it expires or they won't let you on the plane. That's kind of not a nice thing. (laughs) So – yeah, check your expiration time and renew those passports for every member of the family. Uh, I, I'm embarrassed to say that I have had one flight where I had to put the family on a flight and then run down to get my passport renewed two weeks later and rejoin them in another country because, yeah, I screwed up and I forgot to look at my expiration date. Yeah. Um, so don't, don't be an idiot like me. Uh, you know, go and check it out yourself as well. Um, the other thing is... Uh, we have a, a very uh, wonderful thing in the United States. We have a thing called a visa waiver program for a lot of our uh, people from Europe, people from Australia, New Zealand. Uh, they can come in without needing a visa into our country, and those countries typically reciprocate that to us so that we can do the same going into theirs. Not all do that. If you wanted to go to, I don't know, um, well, pretty much anywhere. If you want to go to Ecuador, for example, you're probably going to need a visa. Um, if you want to go anywhere in Africa, you're probably going to need a visa. And you're going to need to find out what the rules are for traveling with the visa because they often do not reciprocate. Um, you'll learn very quickly that it's easy to have a – and I'm saying this for U.S. people, for people in the United States. If you're in the U.S., then the U.S. can dictate its rules for who can come into the country. But the day that you have to go down to the airport and leave the U.S. and go into somebody else's country, guess what? Whatever bad stuff you did to them, they do to you. And it's really weird because what happens is they, if we charge too much for a visa, they then charge us too much. If we don't allow somebody in because they need a visa, they won't allow us into their country. It's a natural diplomatic thing that is always a sort of a tit-for-tat thing. And um, it happens all the time. So be aware where you're traveling and be aware of where you're going to need a visa and where you won't. Uh, And also realize that those rules can change. There is uh, a discussion going on in the EU right now about rescinding a U.S. visa waiver program uh, to U.S. residents in certain countries. So it may not be uh, applicable across the board. Something to keep keep on, uh, uh, you know, keep – in the news, especially before your trip. You don't want to get stuck out there. Um, okay, money. You know, every country has their own currency. Not everyone uses US dollars. Thankfully, a lot of countries do, but uh, you will find that if you're in Europe, you're going to be using uh, euros. Uh, maybe in England, you're going to be using sterling. Um, if you're in Australia, you're Australian dollars and, and so on. US dollars are probably appreciated in those countries, but you may not be able to transact to a general street vendor with U.S. currency. So you're going to need local currency. Um, thankfully, electronic uh, transactions are good. 
Uh, credit cards work pretty much anywhere. ATM machines pretty much work anywhere these days. Uh, problem is, though, you'll pay a fee. Um, if you've got a credit card, check the card that you're going to take with you because many of them do not charge what they call foreign transaction fees, uh, and they're the cards you want to use. Don't use a card that does or you'll get absolutely fleeced on those fees. They're horrible. Uh, the other thing is don't go to a money changer in an airport and change a large amount of money. They will take 20% of it away from you. And you do probably have a little bit of negotiating room on there, but seriously, it's not a good idea. Find a local bank and do it there. Um, all right, so I'm getting through this. Okay, gadgets. Okay, geeks, it's gadget time. Uh, you're on a plane for a long time. You'll probably want something to take your mind off how boring it is and you're on a plane for a long time. So more than likely, you're going to take a tablet, you're going to take a phone, you're going to take a computer, you're going to take something, and chances are it's going to need a battery. Well, depending on how long you're on the plane, if you're going continental Europe, could be eight hours. Uh, going to Australia, could be 15. Going to Japan, could be 10. Could, uh, Shanghai is probably 12. Uh, most devices don't last that long. Some do. Isn't uh, it very common now for long haul flights to have chargers and power in the seats? Uh, on the newer planes, but your assumption is that the uh, airline has spent a hundred, couple of hundred million dollars to buy new planes all the time. Chances are they're still using the fleet from 1998 that hasn't yet reached its uh, end of life and they haven't installed the, the USB chargers and so on in the seats yet. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, or that that USB charger hasn't been broke because the flight before you, some four little year old little kid <laughs> tried to jab a whatever in it and yank it around and break it. So there's a lot of assumptions there. You want to make sure you have something that um, that you can provide power. Yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, I wouldn't know anything the- about that, but so I've heard. <laughs> Relying on the airline to do it is uh, is probably not a good idea. Um, so I like devices that can get me through a lo- the longest flight I need. And, uh, you know, like 15 hours is a good sort of uh, time period to think about. Most laptops, for example, certainly won't do that. But you can buy little power bricks, you know, that are pre-charged that you can charge on the flight in your own. So you create your own little power station. As long as they let you on there with it and they don't sort of freak out, you've got some lithium-ion battery that's going to blow the plane up, uh, you should be fine. So you might want to think about that, particularly if it's for a family, because when the kids don't have something to watch, they get to be a challenge. So <laughs> it's a good idea to load them up with, uh, with stuff. And that also means loading them up with media. They're going to need something to watch. And I'm going to say, you know, from the point of view, I know that nobody here ever pirates any copyrighted material or, you know, God forbid they do that. You're probably going to go to YouTube and download a whole bunch of videos you want to watch on the plane. So let's think about it that way. And you're going to put all onto some sort of portable device, some sort of media. I'm personally a big fan of micro SD cards. Uh, you can get them up to 256 gigabytes if you want. Which Load increasingly are being ignored by device manufacturers. Yeah, which is weird, but th- that's part of the criteria of when I when I look to buying a phone or buying a tablet, I'm going to look for something that has a lot of battery. I like quick charging because you know, you, thirty minutes you can get seventy five percent of the power in the thing, and it takes micro SD up to two fifty six gigs. It does narrow down the field a bit, but man, if you can get that, that device will last you forever. 
And uh-huh. even if you even if you have a laptop with, you know, like a DVD or Blu-ray drive or whatever, if you take the time beforehand and rip that to a digital file on an SD card or a thumb drive, that uses so much less power than that spinning disc whirling around inside your machine. So one way to increase your life is to leave the DVDs at home, the CDs, the Blu-ray, whatever, and convert those over to something on and a micro SD, a thumb drive or something like that. So that's, that's a way to kind of quote unquote hack the, how long your power will last. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the, I, uh, case in point, I took a HTC 10 phone with a 256 gigabyte micro SD card and a bunch of uh, content to watch and did a flight from Sydney to San Francisco. And I, even at the end of that, I still had 47% of my battery left running on that device. And all I was doing was just permanently watching TV on the phone. It doesn't use up much power. It's crazy how efficient it is. Um, so yeah, uh, get the right device for the trip, of course. Um, let's see. Uh, okay, check your restrictions. There, there's been some stuff in the news about the fact that uh, laptops may be banned from uh, international flight. They've certainly been banned from certain countries. Uh, the reality is, you you know, they're going to ban it for everybody at some point, and that's going to mean that we're going to be more relying on watching media on our phones. I mean, even tablets are probably going to be. Uh, part of that band as well. And that's going to be really, really hard if you've got young kids because you want them to give them something to watch while they're there. You might want to think about phones as not only just phones but as media devices uh, considering the bands coming up. But this is going to happen, I think. Uh, okay, uh, power standards. Don't forget, you know, not everyone's in 110-volt land here. Um, most other countries are 240 or 220, and they all have different little weird plugs that goes in the walls. So you're going to need adapters. Amazon is your friend. Go there, look for international travel adapters. Uh, I personally like the idea of getting a power board, like a, a four-way power board uh, that is designed for international standards because – Whenever you're in a hotel and everyone's gotten off the plane and all their gadgets and their phones and their cameras or whatever are all out of battery, everyone wants to charge at the same time. So you need a board. You don't want just one thing. You need something that can handle uh, multiple devices. Um, Another thing is uh, because if you're going to be watching TV on a phone or on a portable device on the plane, uh, planes are noisy. And chances are you want to be able to hear what you're watching. Um, you can spend 300 and something dollars on one of those Bose noise-canceling, great-looking headphones. And, you know, they're wonderful. They sound fantastic, but they're bulky. And the, the, the thing you don't want is you don't want to be carrying around big things when you're traveling. Um, Monoprice have some awesome little noise-canceling uh, headphones. that They're just earbuds. They're like seven bucks. And they're incredible. Get a couple of pair of those. Get one for everybody in the family. Um, if you have a problem with noise level because the, you happen to be sitting near an engine in the plane or it's just noisy, there's a really cool little device that I found many years ago called a Boosteroo. And no, it's not an Australian device. I think it's a, it's a, a noise amplifier and a splitter. So you have one of these things and then multiple kids can feed off the same device to watch the show, but they can all hear it on their own headphones. 
Um, I actually got them for going to uh, motor racing, where you, if you ever go down to a, a track where you've got a, a Formula One race or something like that, it's super loud. And so you put on these massive uh, noise, uh, you know, like industrial level headphones, so you're not going to lose your hearing, but you still want to be able to hear the trackside commentary. Uh, these boosteroos are strong enough to be able to amplify that to the level it can handle a NASCAR race or anything like that. So uh, they're very cheap and they're great. You put a little battery in them and it's good for the family. Uh, I, I love those things. Uh, okay, okay, off the gadgets. On to quickly, security and safety. Yeah, the world isn't as safe as you'd like it to be, unfortunately. Um, you risk two things. One is pure, uh, well, um, other than physical harm, which is going to happen anywhere you go. It doesn't matter. Probably any, even in your local neighborhood, there are places you wouldn't go into. So it's pretty much a common thing. But uh, the bigger the city, the bigger the risk. Um, obviously, one thing that is very common is cloning. Uh, cloning of phones, cloning of credit cards, cloning of passports. Everybody's got an RFID chip on anything these days. You might want to think about one of those RFID protectors for your device. Uh, certainly can't hurt. Um, you might also want to keep copies of important documents like your passport, your visas. Uh, put it in the cloud. Just take a scan of it, take a photo of it, put it up on Dropbox or something like that. If you lose your passport, at least you can find a, a copy of the passport page, you know, with your photo and your name on it. And um, that may be enough to get your local consulate to be able to generate you travel documents so you, you can get home. Uh, but just keep a copy of something in, in the cloud. It, it never hurts. Um, I also have a, a policy, don't ever take electronics with you that you can't afford to lose. Um, you are going to get pickpocketed at some point. Somebody's going to try and, and slash your bag and steal your stuff. Uh, just be careful. You know, it's, it's something everyone has to deal with. It's normal. It's just in some countries you don't see it coming and gypsies are everywhere and you never know what will happen. I'm not saying it will happen to you. I'm just saying be prepared that if it does, that you don't care that you lost that old $50 phone that you hardly ever use. Um, cell phones are a target for criminals. I've noticed uh, increasingly in Southeast Asia, it's a common practice. If you're out there on your phone, you've got it out, you're texting somebody or you're on the phone about to make a call, some dude in a motorbike comes straight by, grabs it straight out of your hand and runs off with it. Very, very common practice. Uh, be careful. You know, protect this stuff. It's, uh, they're valuable. To somebody who makes a dollar a day, that thing's worth a ton of money. Um, and the other one is pickpockets. This is not something in a movie. It's real. Uh, these guys are out there. You want to think about uh, traveling with uh, fanny packs or stuff you can put under garment uh, because they are not likely to be pickpocketed. Uh, but this, you know, you, I, I know everybody I know who's been to Rome, for example, has been pickpocketed. Everybody, um, which is scary because I'm about to go to Rome. So <laughs> it's uh, part of the course, right? You just got to be careful. So just, you know, watch out, keep it, and, and make sure your whole family is aware of this. That it's not just you. Uh, or everybody should be aware of the exposure, particularly on trains, uh, buses, and tourist destinations. Um, okay, rental cars, if you're using rental cars, uh, if you're traveling domestically in the U.S., rental cars are easy, great, and relatively cheap. Uh, they will try and slug you for insurance. They'll slug you for prepaid gas. They'll slug you for secondary driver. Anything they can do to make a buck, 
um, you want to check your credit card because many of the high-end credit cards come with car rental insurance on top of your home insurance policy, and therefore you will not have to pay anything. But the, the rules may be that you have to use that credit card to pay for the car rental. But if you do that, hey, you don't have to pay the insurance. And that could be hundreds of dollars saved. So um, just check that out beforehand. Uh, the one I like is the Chase Sapphire Reserve Card uh, that, that has a car rental uh, insurance thing on it. And uh, it's a good card for using for that. Um, Driver's licenses are not all the same in every country. Everyone's got a different one. And some will accept U.S. driver's licenses and some will not. Uh, you can travel, I think, in Australia for up to 90 days on a U.S. driver's license. And uh, in the U.S., you can travel on most uh, European, Australian, and other Western countries' driver's license for, again, between 30 and 90 days. But not all countries are like that. So just be aware that you don't end up renting a car and driving off and being a criminal and not knowing you were. Uh, right. Getting down to the last part here, cell phones. Um, cell phone carriers are not all the same. <laughs> you won't find Verizon in Europe. You won't find AT&T in Australia. Uh, every country has its own little preferable carriers. Hopefully, you have a cell phone that is unlocked because if you don't, uh, it's game over right there. And uh, it's part of the reason why I don't like buying phones on a payment plan or, a, a, you know, you pay 99 bucks for the phone and then X dollars per month for two years and you're on that carrier because this is a time when you need to be off that carrier because if you're in Europe, it won't work. There are some carriers, T-Mobile, for example, will let you use their service. Um, their data speed is kind of throttled back a little bit, but it works throughout Europe. Uh, but that's one of the very few that does that. Uh, Verizon will do Canada, Mexico, and the US, but nothing more than that. AT&T is much the same. Um, if you are landing in London, you probably want to get uh, find a cell phone provider somewhere maybe in the airport, somewhere near there, and buy yourself a Virgin card or a Vodafone card or something like that that will let you use it all around Europe, um, and then you won't get slogged for data roaming. Data roaming and voice roaming is super expensive in certain regions. Uh, you might find on your phone there's an option in your settings to turn international data roaming off. Do it. Uh, it's a good thing. You do not want to be not doing that and your phone's out getting downloading updates or checking your Facebook status or whatever and you get back to a $1,500 phone bill. Uh, it happens, people. Don't 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 be uh, uh, thinking it won't happen. It will turn your data roaming off on an international uh, carrier, or better still, get a local SIM, switch the SIM over, and make sure you're going over there with an unlocked phone. If you do not have an unlocked phone, get yourself on eBay and find a seventy-five dollar HTC One M Eight. Or something sort of halfway decent that's not current that somebody wanted to sell because they got the new iPhone or whatever, and uh, make sure it's unlocked. Pick that thing up before you go. Make sure to work with uh, Sims in your local region and use that, and uh, you'll save yourself a packet. And that is the end of my story. Well, I must say, Miles, that was uh, comprehensive. If it was nothing, um, <laughs> <laughs> it was. Uh, I mean, if it was anything. Um, I don't, I don't honestly have any comment there. You, you, 
you covered it all as a as an experienced international traveler. Uh, good tips. Yeah, from the school of hard knocks. <laughs> um, I, I know I have dealt with uh, people incoming to the U.S. Uh, who found it inexpensive to just go to Walmart and buy a burner phone while they're here. I assume in a developed country that same model would work you just find a whatever their version of a walmart is or maybe a walmart and buy whatever the burner phone is in that country uh, it's usually the sim card they won't sell you the whole phone they'll sell you the sim though okay and so then you've got to know you know because there are different types of sims you got the micro the nano and the whatever the other one is uh you got to find out what your phone uses um yeah you've got to be a phone expert to travel what's that all about yeah, I wonder if you could uh, like go on eBay International and buy a phone and have them deliver it to a mailbox near the airport or something. Yeah, or, or you're the hotel you're staying at. Yeah, yeah you could. You could absolutely do that. Oh, here's another cool little tip. Um, Google Voice is really cool because if you can change your phone so that you're not using the, the number that your U.S. carrier has given you, but you use a Google Voice number, and you can probably get one in your local region, so it looks the same. Um, that, because it's a data feed that had the, the voice and the text messages and everything goes through on that, uh, you can use that number anywhere in the world because it's going to be using data. So if you turn up to a hotel that has like free Wi-Fi, your phone is going to ring when somebody rings that number. Now, you don't even need a SIM card for that. So uh, I, that's a habit I've done. I Now all my cell phone numbers, Google Voice. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Google Voice for, for not only that, but also because uh, it's trivial to block numbers. You know, if, if somebody gets a hold of your number, if you're if you're a Craigslister, uh, for example, uh, and you want to communicate with people, it's really easy to just say, never ring my phone, never tell me again. You can call me all you want and I'll never know it. <laughs> Handy well, feature. Yeah, and, and plus they do that, what, they read the voicemail and right. email it to you yep. or something. That's kind of cool. Sometimes it's even kind of close to what they say. <laughs> it's getting better. It really is. Um, I have, uh, um, well, uh, that, this is all for another time. We are, we are running already uh, into the hour and a half range there. Uh, so this is, I'll just uh, leave this to you, the audience. Uh, what, what follow-up is necessary for this discussion? We got one more week before we go on vacation. So if you, uh, uh, go post haste uh, and leave a comment at elementopi.com. Uh, ask Miles a question and we'll be able to get the answer next week before he becomes yet again a world traveler and will not be able to respond to us because he will be doing all of these things. Um, we, we may talk more about uh, vacationing, staycationing, uh, domestic sort of things in the future, but uh, this was uh, such a uh, voluminous <laughs> message here yeah, sorry we'll just, about that. that's all right we'll just, I mean, there was nothing here that you could cut honestly it was all valuable information yeah. um if i were planning to make uh, a uh, international trip uh, i would certainly take advantage of some of these things i don't i don't have the business relationships that you do uh in terms of the credit cards and the the miles and all that sort of stuff uh so it's just um like i said it's it's not entirely practical uh, for me, but I I could plan ahead. Like if I wanted to plan for my summer vacation in 2018, I could start now and certainly employ a lot of these things over the next year and maybe travel for free then. It's just too late for me for 2017. 
it does take time. You're absolutely right. You you can't do this stuff with three months to go. You have to be twelve months ahead and plan it out. And but you know that well. Good things can, you know come from planning, right? You you you, you can't build a bridge overnight. You got to plan the thing out, and it's going to be worked. And the same thing with a great vacation. Um, so yeah. Okay. Um. So now, Seth, what happened this week in history? All right, Mark. On May the 20th, 1995, Microsoft and Intuit abandoned their merger plans. Microsoft Corporation and Intuit Inc. agreed to terminate their planned merger in order to avoid a Justice Department charge of violating antitrust laws. In the intervening three years, Microsoft continued to struggle against federal investigation of its dominance in the personal computer software market. Bill Gates' company had originally agreed to acquire Intuit in October of 1994 in a deal worth roughly $2 billion. But abandoned the plan after the Justice Department began an investigation of whether the move would give Microsoft too much dominance in the personal finance software market. And that happened this week in history, Mark. And now back to you. So uh, Intuit uh, makes Quicken which is still uh, sort of the standard in personal finance. Microsoft had Microsoft money that nobody ever used. Uh, and the Justice Department was con- uh, concerned that if you combine something that nobody ever used with the thing that everybody's using, suddenly you would be a monopoly. Yeah, but I think Microsoft, if I remember correctly, they had already, I think they had Quicken and Intuit is QuickBooks. And so the Quicken and QuickBooks, that's, man, I've no. slept since then. No? Okay. No, Quicken and QuickBooks are both Intuit. They are? Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, no, but a lot of people did use Microsoft money. So not so much anymore because Intuit doesn't charge quite the prices they used to, but a lot of people did use Microsoft money. And it was one of those things where Microsoft got their market share by they tried to kill that market the same way they killed the browser market by flooding it with inferior stuff at a much reduced, if not free price. I wouldn't want to trust Microsoft with my money. (laughs) Don't trust them with my technology. (laughs) Yep. That's a, anyway, I'm not even going to go there. We trust people with stuff way more than we actually think we do. All this credit card stuff you've been talking about, you're trusting all kinds of banks with all kinds of things. Oh, I know. I know. You can, you can either have a network or you can have security. You cannot have network security. (laughs) And now Seth, what do you have to lower my productivity this week? That's making you look like a better hiring option. All right. Well, this one, I don't know if this could be good or bad, but it is Spot the Difference, found at spotthedifference.com. And so you go there and you click on something and you try to find the differences between one picture and the other. And then as you complete some, it gives you more levels that there are more things to find. So Spot the Difference. And some of them you're looking and go... you almost see the magnifying glass. So, you know, this has potential to when your manager walks by at that inopportune (laughs) moment. So, but not as, you know, I don't think this one will have the legs of like fill the oceans, but it it could, it could work in a pinch. This is kind of cool. I've always enjoyed those kind of puzzles. The, the spot, the difference puzzles. And yeah, I did the first one that came up the domino Mm -hmm. thing and it was really easy. But the second one, the house, is immediately, I can tell it's a lot harder just uh, at first glance. It is a lot harder. Um, and and then, when course, you get to the second house, it's even harder, harder. 
Wow, yeah. this is hard. <laughs> it started out easy. Oh, this uh, one. It just it 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 lulled you in to a sense of complacency. Um, it did. Oh yeah, see, yeah, you know how to trigger the OCD brain in me. I can't leave <laughs> this now. Once I've clicked on this picture, I'm stuck here. My I'm in a loop until this is done. So you guys close the show because I'm done. No, I, I'm. I spent like what, what were you almost saying? ten minutes because I was looking for one, and I was like, I gotta find it. Uh, and so, yeah, you know, like I say, this could work with the right person. You know, there could be an opening out there soon with my name on it. <laughs> yeah, this one definitely. You got, you got a winner on this one, Seth. <laughs> All right, folks, thanks for listening, Miles. Seth, as always, thanks for your expertise in uh, both international travel and making me insane. Um, and uh, we uh, we'll see you next week. Uh, so this is uh, that's the end of this podcast. And uh, just let me remind you one more time: pay for what you like. <laughs> <laughs>